What's going on, Victory Church? So good to see you this morning. My name is Troy, and me and my wife, Darla, get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us for the first time, I want to say welcome. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. Uh, Definitely want to jump, piggyback on everything that Malcolm said, but something that he didn't mention that I want to take a moment just to share out of my heart. We've recently invested in some, some invitations, just kind of a generic invitation that we want you guys to get your hands on and use them to be able to invite your friends, your family. I love them because you can leave them with your waiter, your waitress, kind of gives you an opportunity to share the gospel a little bit beyond the church. And so we've got a bunch of those. We've got them. Uh, Miss Barbara, somebody, one of, the, one of the auditorium hosts will have them in their hands and be able to put those in your hands. So look, grab as many as you can and just go around and just start throwing them out at people. You know what I mean? Just do all you can. Uh, I don't know about you, but I just believe God's doing something special in this house and in our community, and so we want people to be a part of it. And a lot of times, there's a move of God operating, and people just need to know it's happening. And so that's kind of your tool to be able to get out there and let people know it's happening. Amen? Amen. There's something else we started in this series, and we're continuing it uh, just from now on, called My Story at TNVictory.com, which is an email, and it's an opportunity for you to send testimonies, and we're continuing to get those, and it's so much fun to be able to, to share your testimony with other people of the church, and I want to share one with you real quick, and before I do, i got to give you a little bit of a uh, playback of, of the situation. So Scout, our drummer, the, the long gentleman that drums over here, uh, his, he, he, he's from Memphis. He's one of the people that moved here from Memphis to help plant the church, and his family is still in Memphis. And they, they watch Victory every Sunday, and they're so blessed by the church and what's happening. And so they wanted to become a part of the church, and they're in Memphis. And so they, they, they tied to the church and a few other things. And I said, listen, the only thing you're going to miss by being in Memphis is you don't get that opportunity for community. And so, you know, we have a lot of community here. We're launching uh, life groups and small groups and in the fall. And so there'll be more opportunity for community. And just, you know, you won't have that. And so we got to talk, and I said, hey, why don't you just, I don't know. They've always been very evangelistic. They've always just loved people the way Christ loves them, invite people into their lives. And so I said, why don't you just take your house and invite people over and we'll just have a Memphis campus already. You know what I mean? We're just, we're not even in that place yet to even have our own building, but we'll start planting campuses. Amen. And so uh, they did. And so they meet every Sunday at their house and they watch the live stream and the video. And so I got to share just a little bit of a testimony about it. Of, of This is from Valerie and James is their names. And so it says, my husband James and I have considered ourselves as nomads for a year or so now have been asking God to use us. We've been watching Victory Services faithfully from our home in Memphis, and recently we felt the desire to invite people to our house to watch the service with us. One of the coolest things is recently I spoke with a young girl that I used to mentor. This woman and her husband mentored people all the time. It's incredible. She said, this young lady has had a rough life. Her home life was surrounded with alcohol, drugs, abuse. People told me I was wasting my time mentoring these girls. Isn't that crazy? And I love that this was her statement. God said different. Man, God said different. She was doing her best to avoid the influence, this being the young girl, but after the death of her mother and her father's heart attack, wow, eventually being put into foster care, she found herself involved with drugs herself. You ever been in a place where just a lot's happened? You know what I mean? Lots happened to me. People sometimes will belittle what you're going through, and God understands stuff's happened. Says one night she found a YouTube video of Scout singing. Y'all don't even know he could sing, right? We'll, we'll let you hear that one day. Uh, Scout singing a worship song, and after watching that video, she stopped what she was doing and she committed her life to Christ. You want to talk about the power of God? All he needs is a video. All he needs is somebody faithful. Committed her life to Christ, and now she's planning, watch this, on attending the victory services at our house, right? Can we just give God praise for a moment? Listen. He'll use anything we give him, but he don't need it. 
You see what I'm saying? He can use a YouTube video. He can use somebody who's meeting in their house in Memphis. He can do whatever he needs to do to be able to get his gospel to people and to be able to transform their lives. And I'm so fired up this morning because of where we're going at the end of this message. And I'm starting to see that I must know what it's like to be a child who's about to walk into Disney World. You know what I mean? Because I know where we're going, and I'm just trying to not mess it up before we get there. Because if we can get there in the morning, or morning, if we can get there towards the end, you're going to see the opportunity that God has to do something through you. And it's huge, and it's big, and it's all those things. But we got to get going. You ready? All right? Turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. It'll be on the screen. 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. You're going to follow, find it right after 1 Kings. All right? That's the most wisdom I can give you. It's the best wisdom I can give you. If, don't be ashamed to look at your table of contents and find it. 2 Kings chapter 2. As you're getting there, we are bringing, as Malcolm so poetically said, we are bringing this series to a close. So this is the final Sunday of Greater Things. Have you enjoyed this series, Greater Things? And you'll see a trailer of what's happening next week, what we're launching next week. I'm so ready for that, and I'll I'll explain more details later. But um, I have to admit something to you. From day one with this series, I've had an agenda. (laughs) If you stay around me long enough, you'll hear me say this. I I preach to move people, and here's what I mean by that. God gives our church a direction to go, and it's my responsibility to preach us into that direction. It's my responsibility to show y'all where in the word, what he's saying, why he's saying it, how it, how you apply, how you apply it, and to move into that direction. And so, from the very beginning, the, the goal was to get you to start having a greater way of thinking. So we talked about going from good to great, and we talked about there's greater inside of you, and we talked about how there's a greater purpose for your struggle. Darla did an incredible job last week, didn't she? Talking about a greater place that you can embrace. Uh, we talked about greater perspective, greater distance, all, and all of this, everything we talked about for the past five or six weeks, however long it's been, all of it has come to this one moment, all right? It's kind of like the Avenger movies or whatever. All these movies have led us to this one moment. And here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. How to have greater faith to pray greater prayers. How to have greater faith to pray greater prayers. We're going to see it in 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 5. Now, I have a problem articulating the difference between Elisha, who is the gentleman, E-L-I-S-H-A, that we've been following for the past six weeks, and his mentor, Elijah, with a J. So I'm going to call Elijah E-J. Y'all cool with that? All right. So we got E-J and Elisha, just so, you know, y'all don't get confused, okay? Um, uh, E-J and Elisha. So E-J is Elijah's mentor. He's this incredible, incredible messenger of God. And Elijah has been following him. He gave up the good to follow him in the great. And EJ, look, he's even got this like ministry school of prophets, all right? That's going to be important here in a moment. But there's an exchange that happened at the very beginning of their relationship that until this moment we have not addressed. We've followed Elijah's life through all these different things, but we have not addressed this altercation, this exchange, okay? Chapter 2, verse 5. The company of the prophets, which is his school, at Jericho went up to Elijah and they asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Do you know EJ's gone? He's, he's rolling out. He's leaving. God's going to take him. And I love Elijah's response. He, yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. <laughs> the next time somebody's telling you, you know, uh, gossip, go, I know, be quiet. Can't give you the Troy version of that because I don't let my kids say those words. So then Elijah said to him, Stay here, EJ, my bad, said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. 
It's a marriage verse for you right there in case you're wondering. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where E.J. and Elijah had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah t- or E.J. took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. That's going to come in a little bit play later. When they had crossed, E.J. said to Elijah, watch this, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? What can I do? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah replied. Elijah said, EJ said, you've asked a difficult thing, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. I'm a huge Will Smith fan, always have been, always will be. I, just, I have all of his movies. I am a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air junkie, okay? I watch it all the time. Anybody seen that little show? It's, it comes on every once in a while. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, y'all seen it? It did okay. It was all right. It was successful. So he recently put out a YouTube video on how he became the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and he tells this incredible story about how he had basically uh, gotten into it with the IRS and lost everything, and he was broke, and his girlfriend said, you need to get off your tail and go do something. So he went to the Arsenio Hall show, and there he met a guy who was like the actual Fresh Prince character in real life. And that guy connected him to this guy, connected him to that guy. Y'all ever heard of Quincy Jones? So he gets invited to a party held by Quincy Jones. And the president of NBC is at Quincy Jones' party, okay? Quincy Jones walks up to Will Smith, and he starts talking about the script. And he goes, what's your rap name? And Will Smith said, Fresh Prince. He goes, that's what we're going to call the show. And they keep on talking. And he goes, here's the deal. In a few minutes, I'm going to get my people, which he has people who move his furniture just Give you an idea. Uh, I'm going to have people move my furniture, and you're going to do an audition right here. Will Smith said, I'm not an actor. That's a whole other sermon, isn't it? He said, I'm not an actor. He said, well, you got 10 minutes to learn this part. And all these people, President NBC, there were, there were actors and athletes and politicians. They're all going to see it. Will Smith said, I'm going to need a week. I need a week to prepare. Quincy Jones said, okay, okay. Um, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a week. We're going to schedule that. And then the president of NBC is going to call us a couple days from now and tell us he has to reschedule because his schedule is busy. And we'll say, well, then fine, then we'll do it, we'll do it like three weeks from now. And Chris is like, oh, yeah, 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 three weeks from now. And he goes, listen, or he said, you can take the next 10 minutes and you can change the trajectory of your life. He was broke. Look at him now. He, a little, he got a little bit of money. What we just witnessed with Elijah and Elijah was just a few minutes where Elijah had an exchange that changed the trajectory of his life. And the whole purpose for today and the whole purpose of this series to let you know is that you and me, we have the same opportunity this morning over the next 30 minutes to change the trajectory of our life. Are you ready? It starts with this, the question. It starts with the question. 2 Kings 2, 9, EJ looks at Elijah and he says, what can I do for you. What can I do for you? We've been asked that question before, right? You go to the bank, they ask you that question. You go to the movie theater, they ask you that question. Uh, Very rarely does that question have the potential to change the trajectory of your life. (laughs) Am I right? Normally it's, I'll have one for the 820 showing. Doesn't really do much for your life. But there's power in a question. Questions have the ability to start to stimulate your thinking. Studies say that when you get asked a specific question, your brain cannot contemplate anything else but that question. Anybody here multitasker? Y'all multitaskers? Some of you are lying, right? Because you're multitasking in church right now, looking at Facebook while I'm preaching. Um, 
I'm, I'm a multitasker, and so I literally can't watch TV without having a computer in my lap. It's wild. And, and what, what the study is saying is that when we are asked a direct question, we no longer can multitask. That once we get asked a direct question, our mind is almost hijacked. For example, if I was to ask you, what's your address? Don't say it out loud. That's creepy. But if I was to ask you, what's your address? Your mind starts to do 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 and you can't, you can't think about anything else. It, you're contemplating your address. If I was to say, what's your age? Or where did you go to school? Or who was your first love? Or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. If any kind of question that would cause you to think back, some of you a long time ago, if you were trying to think back, your mind would have to, and it would not be able to contemplate anything else because your mind has been hijacked. Watch this. EJ hijacks Elijah's mind. Let me show you. What was Elijah, and I didn't give you all the verses one through four, but the only conversation for the first like eight verses was that EJ is about to leave you. So Elijah could have been panicking. What am I going to do? Oh my goodness, my mentor is leaving me. This messenger of God's going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It's worry, 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 worry. Hey, you know he's leaving, right? Yes, be quiet. Y'all been there before. If y'all don't have kids, you'll be there soon. Yes, be quiet. And you're worried about it and you're stressing about it. And here comes EJ and he asks a question. And that question is able to hijack the mind of Elijah. And all Elijah can worry about is, well, what do I want? Well, what do I want him to do? He's not worried about where he's going anymore, is he? He's worried about what he can do. God always asks questions to hijack our minds. Every time God asks a question, there's an agenda. There's a purpose. When God walked into the garden with Adam and Eve and he said, where are you? He, didn't, he hadn't lost them. He wasn't going, oh my goodness, I, I just only made two and I can't find them. That wasn't the issue. He was trying to stimulate some thinking into Adam and Eve. When God told Ezekiel, can these bones live? God wasn't asking his opinion. God wasn't wondering if them two together, the knee bone connected to the, he didn't, he wasn't asking that. He was trying to stimulate his thinking. Do you know scholars say that Jesus asked anywhere from 200 to 300 words in the New Testament? I'm sorry, 200, 300 questions in the New Testament, depending on how you count them. 200 to 300 questions. Why would he do that? Jesus is 100% man and he's 100% God. He doesn't need to know anything. There is nothing in this world that he doesn't know. He's got everything. What if? Let me give you, because sometimes Jesus asks dumb questions. You ever notice that? Like there was this moment in Mark where this blind man walks up to Jesus, and Jesus, and I don't know if he walked up, he got to Jesus, and Jesus says, what can I do for you? (laughs) Duh. Brother can't see, you know, hooking up. Like there had to be a moment there, like, Jesus, what are you thinking? My favorite one, and you need to go home and read this, John chapter 5, I don't have it on the screen, but it's, it's called the Pool of Bethesda, and they had this deal where every once in a while this angel would come down this pool and he'd stir the waters, and whoever got into the water first got healed, and it was no. And so for 38 years, a man who was lame lay by that pool and kept trying to get to that pool first to be healed, and for 38 years, he didn't make it. You ever done anything for 38 years? No, nothing. Jesus, here comes Jesus, walks right up to old boy on his mat and says, hey, you, do you want to be made well? For real? That's, that's your question? Like, like, you know what, here's what I've learned. Questions are only dumb when they answer with obvious answers. 
And so Jesus was asking questions not to get an answer, but to start to stimulate the mind. Let me show you an example. I don't know if y'all ever did this, but when I was in, I don't know, maybe 6th, 7th, 8th grade, there was a question that was so famous. It was always being asked. Every year I got asked it, and every year I answered it differently because here's what I've learned. The answers to your questions are always relative to the season that you're in. I don't have time for that sermon, but um, here was the question. What would you do with a million dollars? Y'all ever get asked that question? Y'all need better friends. Get asked that question. It was funny because you would always get crazy. You, you get this kid over here who's like, I'm going to buy an island and I want a horse for every alphabet. Let, you know. And then you had this kid over here who's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the world and I'm going to provide world peace. And you would have all these crazy answers. But you never had the kid who was like, well, I'm going to start off by tithing 10%. I like to give a little bit of an offering. I'm going to put some away in my 401k, and then I'm going to get into probably, you know, invest into housing, maybe refinance some houses so that I can put more escrow. You know I mean? You never had those kind of answers because the question was never like, what would you literally do if you had a million dollars? Because we didn't have it. We're 12. It's not like all of a sudden he's like, boom, ha-ha, I'm glad you said that because I have it. You knew that wasn't going to happen. So the only purpose of the question, watch this, was to stimulate your creativity and to stimulate your imagination. And it was to take you from a place you were and ask you, what would you do if you were in a place you've never been? It was literally the purpose and the goal of it was to move you from where you are to where you want to be. Like that question... When God asks us questions, he doesn't ask us for literal earthly answers because he doesn't need our knowledge. Every bit of knowledge we have, he gave us. God asks us the question to stimulate our creativity and to bring alive our imagination so that maybe, just maybe, we'll have faith that we can move from where we are to where we want to be. The question has a purpose. Let me show you. We built this entire series off of John 14, 12. John 14, 12, for whomever believes in me shall do the things that I have been doing and will do even greater things, for I am going to be with the Father. Y'all remember that? Okay. That was the verse we built this. What you don't know is I literally cut Jesus off in the middle of a sentence. Every time I read that verse to you, I cut him off. He was like, you're going to do even greater things. I'm going to be the Father. And I just stopped. He was like, "Uh," just cut him off right in the middle of a sentence. And here's how I know that. Because 13 starts with the word and. Okay, John 14, 13 starts with the word and, and what it says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Don't y'all see in there where it says if you, unless you pray for three hours a day and know the entire uh, Hebrew and Greek of the Bible, y'all see that? No? Okay. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's not a question, Troy. Got it. Let's take that sentence and make it a question. Here's how it would sound. What can I do for you? There it is. I heard that question before somewhere. Where did I hear it? Oh, EJ asked Elijah The same question. So for Jesus to be asking me this question, do you think Jesus is sitting down with a notepad wondering what you really need? I don't know. I need to talk to Caesar. I need to find out because i got about three more miracles left, and I'm not sure how he wants me to use them. What if he's asking the question 
to be able to stimulate our creativity and open up our mind and get us to a place where miracles are foreign and move us to a place where we actually believe that miracles are to happen on a daily basis. Give you another example. My kids don't eat nothing. They're so picky. They, 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 it's just ridiculous. And so my, my oldest is so picky that when I go to Sonic, the only thing she'll eat is fries. She won't even eat. She won't eat anything. It helps that her mom's made her vegan, but she, she just, she'll eat nothing but fries. And so I know this about her. But here's what I've learned about myself, and I didn't realize it until last night or a couple nights ago. I'll pull into the Sonic drive-thru, and I'll say this. Hey, babe, what do you want? But I already know what she wants. Why am I asking the question? Just in case she's decided that she's going to move from here to here. When God says, what can I do for you? When EJ asked Elijah, what can I do for you? It was less about the specific answer and more about stimulating the mind to see if you had the faith to go from here to here. Our ability to see miracles depends on our capacity to think. And when God asks a question, he's trying to stretch our capacity to think. So first there's the question, what can I do for you? When you came in, you got a card. Everybody got one of those cards? Everybody got one of these when you came in? If you notice, one side, if you don't, this is very important, okay? So if you don't, you need to raise your hand and we need to get you one. Um, if you notice, right here, it just says, what can I do for you? I've shown you in John 14, 13 that Jesus asked that for you. What can I do for you? There's the question. But then after the question, there's the answer. Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want a double portion of your spirit. I thought it was interesting that Elijah didn't get time to think about his answer. Right? You don't see EJ say, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Go think about it for a week, come back, and then we'll talk about it. So much that, let me give you an example. When we were doing this, when I was prepping this and I felt God tell me to do what we're going to do today, I thought to myself, God, they need more time. They need more time. I should try to introduce it to them this Sunday and give them all week to think about it. And God said, I didn't do that for Elijah. I said, okay, gotcha. And then I realized the reason is because the longer we get as Christians, the more we rationalize our answers. And the more time we get to think about it, the more we try to make our requests doable by our own power. I'm the worst at it. I, I will actually edit my prayers down as if I'm helping God have a better success rate. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give you an example. When we got ready to launch this church, I was wanting to grow the launch team so we could have people in every area so that when you came in for the first time, you would feel like it was a full-functioning church. And so I told my wife, Darla, I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to meet one person, because at the time, we were 365 days away from launching. So I said, we're going to meet one person a day, one person a day. That's 365 people. And if 10% of those people join the church, which is not a bad thing to ask for, 36.5 people will be here. It got so bad that me and Darla were like, well, we got to have a Sabbath because our kids don't need to be always getting up at 10 o'clock going to Target trying to meet a stranger. So I said, all right, let's take it away. One week, now we're down to like 285. It's 20, still 28.5 people. It's like I was trying to do all of the math so that God could have a better job answering my prayer. 
Am I the only one that does that? No? You ever edited your prayers so that God would have, be, you know, would have a more of a success rate? Like, well, God, maybe don't heal them. Maybe just, you know, make them where they don't have to take the inhaler anymore. Like, if you can just do that, you know, because hallelujah, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know, I know I'm asking for, like, my bills to be paid and for me to get a debt, but maybe you can just get a brother 20, <laughs> you know? Like, whatever you can do to make the situation a little bit more editable, then, then I'm willing to shift it and change it so that you'll answer it. And Elijah says, double portion. Now let me educate you for a second. EJ was this incredible man of God, and God had used him at this point to, to perform 14 miracles. I've got just some list of some of them, just don't want you to think I make stuff up, okay? 14 miracles. You can see the reference, kind of what they did. Caused the rain to cease, fed by ravens, miracle of the barrel of meal and cruise. They're all up there, all 14. 14. Everybody say 14. It's going to be important that you know this. Do this right here. I want you to make sure you can count. 14. This is going to be, Lenise, you better put your hands up. Come down there in a second. 14. Okay. Don't you think it would have been okay for Elijah to say, I'd like 14? I'd like to be a part of the greatness that you did? I don't know if any of y'all play basketball, but if somebody said you're going to have the career equal to LeBron James, you'd be totally okay with it. If I can just have the same amount of rings as Michael Jordan, that's fine. For him to just say, I'd like to perform 14 miracles would have been awesome. To be honest with you, for him to say, I'd like to do seven miracles would have been awesome. But he said a double portion, not 15, not 16. I want 28 miracles. And that's when I learned that the answer is more important than the question. Because the question never changes. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? But the answer relies on us. So the answer is more important than the question. And here's why. Because the answer reveals our expectation and our understanding of God. Our answers change when we understand who we are asking the impossible of. Make sense? For example, this is the same God, the God we're talking about, all right? Just so you're clear. The God we're talking about, the one and only true God, the holy King of kings, Lord of lords, uh, you know, him. Okay? He's the same God who took three Hebrew boys, put them into a pressure cooker, left them in there for a certain amount of time, brought them out, and they were not hurt at all. And here's the catcher. The Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. I can't enter into a barbecue restaurant without leaving smelling like smoke. He must be the impossible God. Not only are they not hurt, they don't smell like smoke. He took filet of fish and fed 15,000 people. He had 12 baskets of leftovers. I can't feed an 8-year-old and have leftovers. How does he have leftovers with 15,000 people? He must be the God of the impossible. He, he's the same God who, who with Moses raised his stick, and it says that the waters parted to the right. And there was, a, there was an example of this with Elijah and EJ as well. And the waters parted to the left, and it said they walked on dry ground. When we did baptisms about a month or so ago, you didn't know this, but there was a leak in the baptismal. All right, um, the things you'll never know until you're behind the scenes. And so Tim and Jimmy and Quang, they're all running around trying to vacuum water up so that when you come out, we like, 
get baptized. You know, and so I'm like, for, for hours, they were vacuuming water, little water, water. Moses raises a stick, and the ocean splits, and there's no water. How is that even possible? Because he is the impossible God. Jesus gave people sight. He gave people the ability to walk. He resurrected people from the dead. There's a story in Joshua, we're going to talk about this in the fall, where, where Joshua needed more time to fight, so he prayed. Listen to this. He prayed that God would make the sun stand still. Let's just call it what it is. That's stupid. The Bible says God went up and, not realistically, but, but grabbed the sun and it stood still. Because he is the God of the impossible. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't want to insult God with weak prayers. I would rather my prayers reflect the possibility of the God who's asking the question. Did you hear me, church? It's really important that you hear this because in a minute you're going to be called to action. I want my answers to reflect the God of the question. Did you know that the question has a purpose and your answer has the same purpose? And the purpose is to glorify God. Here's what's crazy. Your answer is not even about you. It's about the opportunity for God to be glorified. Just recently... I was at home, and my daughters like to do two things. They like to, uh, one daughter likes to sit on that foot and wrap this leg, and one daughter likes to sit on that foot and wrap this leg. And, you know, when K whatever foot Casey's on, I'm better, right, because one's eight and one's three. But they love for me to do it. And it's hard for me to do it, but as a role as a father, I do everything I can to do it because they want it. And so as soon as they want it, I start doing it. I start moving. The other day, Veda gets on my back, and Casey Ray's like, let me get on your back too. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be crazy. But I'm their daddy, and I love them, and I want everything for them. So here's what I learned. I said, hey, come here, Casey Ray. And I swung her around, and I held her in the front. So I had Veda on my back and had Casey on my front, and I was walking them around the house, right? What do you think would have happened if they would have went to their mother and asked that question? Hey, Mom, can I get on your back, and then you hold Casey Ray on your front? My mom's been in town. What if they would have went to her? Nobody wants to laugh, right? Okay, I see how it is. Y'all going to hurt Darla's feelings. I see how it is. Listen, the answer is relative to who is asking the question. They asked me. So the answer is relative to me because I'm daddy. You know, they'll ask me stuff like I'm the king of Dubai. You know what I mean? They just ask me for stuff that I'm like, how do you think I have the resource for that? Have you seen where we live? Like, what is wrong with you? How do you think we have the resource for that? And I've learned that here's their, here's their mindset. If I need it, my daddy must have it. Here's what I'm learning. If I need it, my daddy must have it. And so if my daddy's going to ask me the question, what can I do for you? My answer better be relative to who's asking me the question. So I think we understand the question, and I think we understand the answer. And so if I was to say, hey, guys, 
in your hand this morning is a piece of paper, and the question is, what can I do for you? And we've talked all these weeks about how God has greater plans for you, greater plans for you, greater plans for you. Everybody look at me right now. And if I said to you, real quick, grab your pen and write on the card what you want God to do for you. What's your answer? What, what's right here? Don't start trying to be, I was talking to Scout, Scout, I'm going to bust you out again. We, we work out together, so I, I was talking to him, and I asked him the question just to test the waters. And he was like, I want wisdom. I was like, shut up. That's so spiritual. I would like to have 400 huts in the, you know, I mean, could be quiet. Like, let's be real for a second. Because if I let you go home and think about it, you'll come back with a real spiritual answer, but it ain't you. And here's the best part. God doesn't want you to be spiritual. It's a father talking to his child. What do you want? What do you want? Anything you ask in my name and I will do it. What do you want? What do you want? So I said, Scout, what do you want? Because wisdom's not impossible because we serve an impossible God. So your answer should reflect an impossible God. If he held the sun, you better not write on your card, my tire's been flat, I need to figure out how to fix it. He held the sun. And I know this is going to be on video back at his house, but i got to say this. So I, I looked at him and I said, look, don't think that way. Elijah had to go with the first thing on the front of his mind. He said, Scout, what's the first thing on the front of your mind? What's the impossible? And he looked down, he looked at me, he said, to see my brother get saved. That sounds a whole lot better to God than wisdom. Because wisdom comes automatically. Why do you think we don't put the real answers on these cards? I'll tell you. You don't even have to tell me. I'll tell you. Because deep down, we doubt that he'll actually do it. Why would you not put a broken marriage or a sick family member or the salvation of a family member or whatever? Why would you not put that on here? If, if, if the impossible God is looking at you saying, what can I do for you? Why would you not write it on here? Because we doubt that he'll do it. I'll, I'll go with you on this because this has always been my problem. So the craziest thing about Elijah and, and EJ is this. If, if Elijah was going to do a double portion of EJ's miracles, how many miracles would he have to do? Uh, they won't talk to me, Jeff. How many would he have to do? Thank you. Craig Montmath at least taught me that. 28 is how many you would have to do. He dies in 2 Kings chapter 13. If you were here a couple weeks, we talked about it. He died with 27 miracles. Isn't that strange? 27 miracles, man, that's a lot. It's not 28. That's 13 more than EJ did. Man, God's so faithful. It's not 28. God said 28. And then you keep reading past where Elijah died, and you come up on 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21. 
And it tells a story. It says, now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. And once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. And so they threw the man's body, where? Into Elijah's tomb. And when the body touched Elijah's bones, As a young preacher, this was my shouting moment. As a young preacher, I'd have been, oh, God's so faithful. He came through. No matter what happens, it might be in the midnight hour, but the 28th call, I'd have been shouting. I don't shout right here anymore. I'm old. And the reason why I don't shout here anymore is because Elijah didn't get to see it. I want to see it. Do you want to see it? So I was praying. My God, this is so weird. You're so weird. And uh, I said, um, why even do it? The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So Elijah was where? With the Lord. You think he could care less if he did a 28 miracle? No, couldn't care. Why even do it, God? Why even do it? And I felt him tell me, I did it because of moments like this where my children have the opportunity to answer a question with such faith that it's impossible but it has the trajectory to change the rest of their life and it has the ability to glorify me but if they're not careful they will avoid their answer because they're afraid that I won't answer it and so I didn't want them to be able to look through scripture and find a moment where I didn't fulfill my promise So, there's not a moment that we can look back and see God promise one thing and never do it. Not a moment. He didn't care about Elijah. He cared about you. Because he knew, I don't even know what today is. He knew that in 2018, you'd be sitting here with this card and there would be a question for you. Question. You think it's on, on, on an accident that you're here? It'd be a question for you. And you would have an opportunity to give an answer. And if you're not careful, you answer in such a doable way so that you can let God have a better chance of being able to answer that prayer. And God says, come on, I made the stunt stand still. Like, think about something beyond you. Let me get you from, let me get you from here to here. I'm going to need that in a minute. Let me get you from here to here. Come on, think for a second. He asked the question not for an answer that he doesn't know, but he asked the question to move us from where we are mentally to where we're going to be. Thank you. 
it's impossible for me to relay my heart to you this morning. Because I believe that God wants to do something that in the end glorifies him. And it grows your faith. So do me a favor. Uh, you got your cards? You got a pen? Everybody here got a pen? Everybody got a pen? If you don't got a pen, cut your finger and write with your blood. Just kidding. We have pens. We have pens. If you need a pen, raise your hand. We'll get you a pen. Wow. Y'all need to start. I know who don't take notes in church. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going off script a little bit. I was supposed to. No, no. Hey, sit down. Sit down. Uh-uh, sorry, that's my bad. Sit down. Jamal, sit down. I, I'm, I'm totally ruining all of our plans. You, you got to write on the card, player. You got to write on the card. Hey, uh, uh, Caesar, give me two cards. We are going so off script right here. Give all them cards, too. They need to come to church. You got them? Oh, you are spiritual. Look at y'all. So here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do as a church. If this is your first time and you're like, man, this dude is psycho. It's, it's not like this every Sunday, okay? Uh, God's just prepping us for something big. In a minute, we're going to write on these cards. And you're going to come down, you're going to put these cards in this thing right here. I don't even know what you call it, a glass barrel. And for the next four months, because I've got strategic things to preach for the next four months, we're going to pray over these things generically. We'll start Saturday night prayer during the, during the summer, or Saturday morning prayer during the summer, and we're going to pray over these things generically for the next four months. And in the fall, God has given me specific direction where to take our church through the message, and we're going to start bringing these things out and praying for them specifically. And I believe 2019 is called the year of the impossible. And I think that by the time we pull some of these things out in four months, some of them will already be answered. That's how it works. So I need you to really search your heart for the next few moments and to imagine that the God of gods, the King of kings, is asking you this morning, what can I do for you? All right, y'all got to hurry up because y'all got to get up here. It's already on the front of your mind. You already know what it is. Don't, don't try to back off of that thing and be uber spiritual. What is the thing you want God to do? And I got to say this for everybody that watches online. If, if you will email us what you want, we will put it on the, and put it in here. Email at mystorytnvictory.com. We'll put it in here so that we can pray over the next four months. As y'all get done, band, y'all go ahead and, singers, y'all go ahead and come up here as y'all finish. You'll be the first ones to put your cards in. Lead the way. Yeah, come on. The Bible says they made the priests go into the water first. <laughs> That's y'all, suckers. So, as they're getting in place, they're going to begin to sing. 
and I'm going to ask you during that time to fill out that card and to come put it in this barrel. Once you do that, return back to your seat. Brian will come up here in a moment and close it out. Will you do that for me? If you've already been down here, when they begin to sing, will you just stand and worship, create an atmosphere in this place? But again, the answer is more important than the question.